Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome in to the Jeff Andrea Show here on Friday, October 18th. And thank you, as always, for tuning in. Hope you all have some exciting plans set for this weekend. Maybe it involves getting ready for Halloween as the spookiest of holidays is fast approaching. I'll be having a few tips on that here in just a few minutes. In about 10 minutes' time, though, I'll be joined by Mark Siraka. He is the stepfather of Lisa Dudley, who was murdered along with her boyfriend, Guthrie McKay, in a mission home in 2008. Guthrie died at the scene, but Dudley, who was shot twice, sat paralyzed in a chair for four days before paramedics arrived, uh, before dying on way to hospital. Thomas Robert Holden, the last of four men charged, pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit murder in connection with those deaths. He was sentenced in February 2017 in B.C. Supreme Court after admitting his involvement in both cases. Needless to say, Siraka is outraged that the man who orchestrated the killings is out on day parole after serving fewer than three years of a 10-year sentence. So he'll be joining me to talk about his issue with how this case has been handled and how he feels the justice system has failed his stepdaughter. To begin the back half of today's program, I'll be joined by Ashcroft Mayor Barbara Rodin after a meeting with Interior Health. The meeting was held to go over a number of things that included an overview of the Health Authority, an overview of services available in Ashcroft and the region, a description of the current services that are available at the Health Centre, the current status of the ER, and how residents are supported to receive care on the weekends and more. So I'll be joined by Barbara Rodin at around 9.35. And then to end off today's show, I'll be joined by Kamloops Thompson Caribou Green Party candidate Ian Curry. Uh, he will join me with just three days before the October 21st vote. We have been running all the candidates on various programs here on NL throughout the week to get in one final word before Election Day. But to begin today's program, I am talking about Halloween costumes. Yes, Halloween is less than two weeks away, and for those adult partygoers, those parties are likely happening just a week from tomorrow. So not a lot of time to get ready. I am joined now by Marissa Kielman, the retail sales manager at Value Village. Marissa, thanks so much for joining me. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, so is there ever a time in your life when you hear this Halloween theme music, the Michael Myers theme song? Yeah, I've heard it many times working at Value Village, <laughs> and I wonder if it is my real life. I, uh, I often hear it if I like hand my parents my phone to show them a picture, and then they start swiping. Ooh, yeah, it's pretty yeah. scary times. All right, so uh, Halloween, like I said, less than two weeks away. I guess uh, you know you guys must be getting pretty busy with people kind of coming in and starting to look for costumes. I guess just what what is the store looking like these days in terms of uh, you know people bringing in their kids or even the adults coming in themselves? It's definitely really busy, but it's still it's a big store. There's a lot of room to shop. We got a lot of costumes left. Anything that you're looking for, we can help you put it together. Uh, do you see more people kind of going through those pre put together costumes? You know, you have that section, right, where you have all the, the real new stuff, I guess, that people bring in. But I, I don't know. I'm a big uh, believer in kind of going to the, the used section and kind of putting stuff together yourself. Yeah, it's kind of a mixed bag. About 21% of people are looking for like a pre-made costume that's all together. But the majority of people are really looking to put together a one-of-a-kind costume. And when they go to parties or are out in their neighborhoods... The costumes that people put a lot of effort into and use new and used accessories together are really the costumes that they admire the most. Um, and I guess, uh, you know, you guys are costume experts, if you will, right? So, I mean, do you get uh, a lot of opportunity to help people put those things together? Yeah, every day we're helping customers put together costumes. There's lots of 
different options and people are going to different places. So depending on where you're going, we have different ideas for that. If you're having an office party, then obviously you don't want the same kind of costume as if you're going <laughs> to a bar or your kid's going trick-or-treating. You're going to maybe need to wear a snowsuit underneath yeah, there yeah. depending on the depending on the weather. Um, so I guess in, in terms of, uh, you know, what's what's popular right now, um, you know, I'm trying to think of kind of some of the big movies that always seems to be what people base their costumes off of, right? I'm sure like a, a lot of people are coming and looking to be the Joker again this year, as uh, as is often the case, it seems. Uh, you know, what are some of the other big uh, ideas that you're seeing if, if people are kind of looking for that popular costume this year? Yeah, Joker was a huge movie. Also, Spider-Man inspired costumes are huge this year. All of the Avengers costumes, Avengers was a huge movie. Um, there's been a bunch of Disney releases, so Toy Story, Lion King, Frozen is upcoming. So those kind of inspired costumes have been really big also. And I guess is, is it movies typically that seem to be the ones that people come and request for or, or what kind of other ideas that people seem to have? Yeah, typically movies and TV, but there's also like pop culture. So people that are that kind of stand out, there's always going to be the political costumes. I'm sure there'll be a couple political <laughs> costumes this year with the election as well as everything going on in the states people always want to be Donald Trump and that kind of stuff yeah. so yeah I was saying that earlier today too that uh, you know with uh, probably Monday after Monday then people might have a, a better idea of political costumes that they might want to have come Halloween time um, I guess what what uh, advice do you have for people like you had mentioned there's obviously a lot of different um, at weather types, I guess, that people might have to prepare for, whether they're inside or outside, or even if you are going to a club or a bar on, on Saturday night, you know, you might have to wait in line for a little bit or, or walk from one place to another. Um, you know, do you have any advice for how people can, can kind of stay warm? I mean, you don't want to be carrying a coat around with you, but you probably are also going to get hot when you go into the bar. I mean, is it really difficult for some people to kind of, you know, weigh between those two options of being warm and, and, and being comfortable? Yeah, sometimes it is. Um, lots of times people can find like a good like fur shawl or fur coat, something that they can kind of hang on to that's not too big, that can keep them really warm when they're outside, but be a great like accessory piece to go with their costume as well once they get inside. Perfect. And uh, like I said, so it's about a little less than two weeks, 13 days specifically away from Halloween. So still quite a bit of time for people to really get ready. I mean, you, you had mentioned to me you're kind of a, a last minute person. How, how much time do you typically need to get your costume ready? I usually seriously start putting everything together within the last seven days, which I should know to shop early, but there's still plenty left. It just kind of adds a little fun factor of yeah, finding yeah. those one-of-a-kind pieces and putting together something completely original. I guess, do you see some of those, um, you know, whether it be like masks, Joker masks or things like that, do those kind of sell out pretty quickly and then it's kind of tougher to find those kind of items? Yeah, there's always costumes and a lot of, every year it seems like cat ears. People want cat ears in the last <laughs> like three days and we're like, we had tons, we had so many, but they're all gone. Then I'm trying to explain to people, we explain to people how they can make their own. You can take a headband and some pipe cleaners and just depends how crafty people want to get. For sure. I'm joined by the retail sales manager at Value Village, Marissa Kielman. So, um, yeah, in terms of making your own costume, obviously, I think that's probably the best way to go. And that makes it more unique. Um, but, uh, you know, for those people who are sort of last minuteers and don't have time to, you know, get everything together, the the to be perfect and spick and span and all whatnot. Um, I guess what, what sort of last minute ideas do you have for people who may be looking maybe in, you know, a week or 10 days from now to, to kind of get things together? Yeah, there's always tons of last minute ideas if you come into the store. Uh, a lot of easy costumes. You could be a witch or like pirates are always popular. That's a great costume that's easy to throw together if you don't want to put in a lot of time and you're on a budget. Um, 
all of those like vampires or scary costumes if you just want to throw on a mask anything like that there's still lots of time to get that kind of stuff thrown together. Yeah, and, and we had mentioned some of the more popular ones are things like movies and TV and pop culture um, and maybe even politics, but for those who maybe aren't so creative, I mean, what, what sort of ways can they go about finding some more ideas? You had mentioned to me, you know, there's some places they can go maybe online to, to have some ideas. Yeah, valuevillage.com. There's hundreds of costume ideas on there. You can click through for a very long time looking at ideas. It gives you pieces that you can put together exactly what you need to look for, so kind of a recipe for a costume. You can also come into the store. We have a little lookbook that you can look through, and you can talk to any of our costume consultants or any of our staff there at the store, and they'll help you put together whatever kind of costume it is that you're looking for. Perfect. And a uh, big piece of advice from me, because you had mentioned that cat ears is something that you guys seem to run out of. Well, I'm sure a lot of people you know, wear them for Halloween and then throw them out the next day. Maybe hold on to some of that stuff. I used to have a big tickle trunk that was great to go through, you know, play Mr. Dress Up, and that was always a good way to find some stuff. And then you can go to Value Village to find those missing, uh, you know, one, two pieces. Is that uh, something you guys see pretty often, that people are just coming in looking for, like, that one final touch to add to their costume? Yeah, definitely, and it's the best place to do that. You can find a one-of-a-kind piece that you wouldn't find anywhere else. Plus, it's very... Uh, green to shop thrift there's a lot mm -hmm. of items that already exist and instead of going and buying a brand new yellow fur coat you can come to value village and find that oddity that you wouldn't find anywhere yeah, else for sure and not spend a hundred dollars on it and, and save yourself yeah. a little bit of money because you're really, probably only going to wear this once maybe twice depending on how many parties you might be heading off to so uh yeah try not to uh, go ridiculous and spend a whole bunch of money on something that you don't need to wear very often and probably won't even look as good as something you bought secondhand anyway right true Perfect. Well, Marissa, anything else that you want to give uh, advice-wise for people who are uh, planning to get ready for Halloween here in the near future? Um, come on down to the store. We can help you put together anything. Um, you can save a lot of money shopping thrift. It's environmentally friendly, which is a big thing with climate change right now. So that's all really important. And it's just fun. <laughs> it is fun. It's fun to put together a costume. Halloween's fun. There's so many different activities. It's not just for the kids, but it is for the kids, but it's also for adults. So it's a really good time. I will also suggest that people maybe have a rough idea of what they want because it can be pretty overwhelming to see thousands of costumes in front of you and then try to narrow it down to one. So that's my advice. Well, thanks so much for coming in, Marissa. I Thank really you. appreciate you taking the time. That was uh, Marissa Kielman, Retail Sales Manager here at Value Village. Coming up after the break, I will be talking with Mike Siraka, so stick around for that. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local news now. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Friday. Uh, Lisa Dudley, she was uh, murdered along with her boyfriend Guthrie McKay in a mission home in 2008. Thomas Robert Holden was the last of four men charged in connection to the deaths after pleading guilty to conspiracy to commit murder. He was sentenced to 10 years in February 2017 after admitting his involvement in both deaths. But Holden is now out on day parole after serving fewer than three years of that 10-year sentence. Here now to talk about this is Lisa, Lisa Dudley's stepfather, Mike Soraka. Mike, thanks so much for coming on today. That would be Mark Soraka. Oh, excuse me, Mark Soraka. Typo. My my apologies. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, you're forgiven. 
So, Mark, let me just start by getting your initial reaction to, to what has happened here. I mean, you gave me a call earlier this week, and, and I think it's pretty clear that you aren't too happy with the fact that Thomas Holden is, is already out on day parole. Well, yeah, my uh, Lisa's mother received a, a call a few weeks ago stating that uh, Mr. Holden had applied for parole, and then <clears throat> a week or so ago, we received the notice that, yes, he had received. And my wife asked me to make sure that I told the audience and yourself that it, uh, when, when that call came in affirming his parole, that it was a, a direct and horrible slap in the face for her. I mean, what has your family had to go through over the past decade? I mean, this must be a situation that you think about all the time. Yes. Well, if you, if you look at the genesis of the murder, the, the, in the beginning in 08, the RCMP failed miserably. Uh, there were six shots fired. The police officer, uh, two cars went up, and uh, they didn't even talk to the caller, and uh, they left the scene. And Lisa lay dying for four complete days before she was found, and she was still able to communicate uh, after that fact. And another thing that should be noted is that the, the police officer was um, Corporal Mike White. He wasn't a corporal at the time, but he was caught laughing with a dispatcher about it, and the RCMP were not going to hold him accountable for that that egregious act at all. And uh, as well, he was promoted eight weeks after the shooting, so it just began a, a, a terrible journey. Yeah, it's obviously been a pretty tough uh tough little situation for you guys to have to deal with and I, and I recall hearing that audio it was uh, yeah it was it was definitely something interesting to hear that's for sure um now w when the sentencing of, of mr holden did happen i mean did you feel any sense of closure i mean that might be an overused term because i don't think you could ever really feel closure when dealing with a, with a tragic event like this but i guess you know did you feel some sense of easement after the 10-year sentence was handed down well certainly not i mean when uh, mr holden if you if, if you recall, he uh, orchestrated and directed the murder of two people. And uh, he, he supplied the, the gun, the ammunition. And then after, after the shooting, he, was, uh, he went into hiding for six years. I mean, he never admitted it or anything of that nature. Now, the interesting thing is that when the sentence uh, was passed, was in 2016, of September, and he was granted, this is unbelievable, but he was granted parole for six months before he was actually incarcerated. And we found that a horrible, a horrible action. Um, ten, 10 years is much too lenient. The criminal code dictates that uh, the, the fundamental principle of sentencing, now this is sentencing, it says, a sentence must be proportionate to the gravity of the offense and the degree of the responsibility of the offender. This is the man who orchestrated it. He was called a directing mind. Can anybody out there tell me and convince our family that the uh, <laughs> sentence was proportionate to the crime? I think not, and I think that has to be looked at. 
I, I, you've obviously had some conversations, I would think, when it comes to you know with, with lawyers or things like that. I guess uh, you know what 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 kind of sense do you get from from the legal professionals? Do they, you know, do they have a similar thought on this one as you? I mean, uh, you know, you're speaking from uh, you know from the heart on this situation, but I guess from the book, I mean, did, are are legal professionals telling you the same thing that maybe ten years was uh, too lenient? I mean, this is obviously a pretty significant crime that he's been convicted of, and and not only did ten years seem lenient, but then also uh, now to be on day parole with less than 30% of the way into that sentence is uh, it's pretty shocking to hear. Yes, I've, I've heard that it was extremely lenient. And the, the, the thing is that the, uh, the Supreme Court uh, just passed a, a ruling, uh, four to three, that, that the judges were sentencing lenient, too lenient uh, sentences for egregious crimes. And this is the Supreme Court in Ottawa stating it. Now, the thing is, bear in mind also that judges can sentence, make sentences longer if the administration of justice is seen to be in disrepute. Well, in our opinion, it did fall into disrepute. Is, is there anything that, you know, you can do, I guess, I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that you could do to kind of, uh, you, you know, other than voice your concern about what has taken place here, um, you know, in this past week and the fact that he has been granted day parole. I mean, other than sort of speaking out and, and saying that this shouldn't have happened, I mean, I don't know if there's much you can do to sort of change what's taken place here at this point in time, other than maybe trying to, uh, you know, change what happens to other people who are in similar situations moving forward. Um, you know, I guess, are you just going to continue to speak your mind and speak out on this? Uh, particular case and, and hopefully that you know uh, anyone who goes through something similar uh, will at least see a, a little more um, uh, sense of justice laid well there is no justice let's begin with that <laughs> in the beginning uh, how any can anybody can interpret what has happened here as justice I I think is is is, is very blinded by the whole situation we can sit back and write our solicitor general we we can our, write our attorney general and and tell them these things have to change that nobody does does pay for their crimes anymore it, it just seems uh swung so far in the opposite direction the murder it, what what has happened here is that it has it is culturally devastating because these sentences are passed and how does that be, be, be viewed as a deterrent. How, what does the society say? It devalues society itself. And ultimately, it just dis, it devalues the value of human life. That's what it's saying here. You do, you know, two, a little over two and a half years, multiple murders. Mm -hmm. You know, two people have, have, they can't speak now. We must speak for them. Uh, Mark, uh, unfortunately, we are out of time here. I'm sure we could talk for for quite a bit more on this. I mean, it's obviously a pretty devastating situation that you've had to go through here, and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and kind of speak your side of the story. I, uh, like I said, I wish we could talk longer, but unfortunately, we are out of time. But thanks so much for doing this. Anytime, please, and thank you very, very much for your interest. Awesome. Uh, coming up after the break, I'll be chatting with the mayor of Ashcroft, so uh, stick around for that. Listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. 
Hello and welcome back in here on Friday the 18th. All area residents who access medical services at the Ashcroft Hospital and Health Center were invited to attend a public meeting in Ashcroft last night. The meeting was held by Interior Health and went over a number of things, including an overview of the Health Authority, an overview of uh, services available in Ashcroft in the region, current status of the emergency department, and how residents are supported to receive care on weekends, and a whole lot more. Here to talk about that discussion is Ashcroft Mayor Barbara Roden. Barbara, thanks so much for joining me. Well, thanks for inviting me on the show, Jeff. Anytime. You're always welcome here. Um, uh, so, Mayor, let me just start by asking, uh, you know, about last night's meeting. How, how well was it attended by uh, area residents? Uh, very well attended. We had uh, close to 150 people there. We had to, to put out more chairs, so that was great. And, and we had stressed that this was not just for residents of Ashcroft. The hospital, of course, is located here. But the hospital serves a, a catchment area of about 9,000 people. So for those who maybe don't leave the city a whole lot, you know, I mean, how is healthcare and emergency care different in a place like Ashcroft than it would be here in Kamloops? Obviously, you know, a significant difference being in a smaller community like that. That's right. I mean, people who live in Kamloops or Kelowna, they're, they're used to having RIH or Kelowna General Hospital, you know, with a full, huge array, array of services available. And in the smaller hospitals in the region, it's just not possible to have all those services, of course. So uh, th things look very different in a place like Ashcroft or Lillooet than they do in, in, in Kamloops. And, of course, the, the disruption to service of our emergency department in the spring and summer of this year was a, a, a huge source of stress and anxiety for a lot of people. There was just so much uncertainty about, well, you know, if I have an emergent issue, is the, is the hospital in Ashcroft open? Do I need to be going to 100 Mile or Lillooet or going into Kamloops? Uh, so, you know, in a place with a 24-7 emergency department like RIH, you obviously don't have that concern. You know that if you go there, it'll be open. Yeah, so that kind of leads into my next question here. I mean, uh, it kind of touched on it there, but I guess why was this meeting needed, do you think? Why was it so necessary to have uh, Interior Health out there to kind of talk about some of these issues and, and address, or at least try to address some people's concerns? Uh, it was because there was just so much anxiety, stress, frustration from people about the emergency department in particular. And so in, in June, myself and a fellow council member and our then CAO went over to, to Interior Health uh, Kelowna to meet with the CEO, Susan Brown. And, and a, a large focus of that meeting was to stress to them the importance of Interior Health coming to the community because of the stress levels, because of the uncertainty, because of the questions and frustrations people had. And, and I can't answer those questions. Other people in town can't answer those questions. It needed to be interior health coming to, to, to talk to people face to face and give them an opportunity, people in the area, to tell them what their concerns are and what their challenges are. And I, I, we just stressed that that was really, really important, that they needed to come here and address some of these things and start some sort of dialogue with, with people here in the community so that they can get answers to their questions and feel they're being listened to because they, they certainly do not feel they're being listened to right now. And given a number of those issues that, that you have brought forward, things like the, you know, the closures of the emergency department, I mean, have you heard some pretty scary stories from people in the area about, you know, uh, you know maybe needing some emergency care and just not having it available as quickly as maybe needed? I've heard a number of anecdotal stories about it uh, from people in the community that they, you know, they went there, they had an issue, um, and, and it wasn't open because of, of the, you know, it wasn't the, the hours it was scheduled to be open, which is Friday at 6 till Monday at 8 a.m., uh, or you hear about people who, you know, want to, I heard yesterday about a person who broke their leg one Friday, and, and 
they knew that the emergency department was opening in, in at six o'clock, and so they they got someone to put some ice on it, and and at six o one, presumably they went to the emergency department um, because it's either that or or you face a long trip somewhere else, and then a, a very long wait. I mean, we've all heard what the wait times can be like at places like Royal Inland for for an emergency. So people are, are finding that you know they're they're holding off getting the attention they need. Be, just so that they can be there or go to the emergency department when it does open. Yeah, so obviously people are having to make some difficult decisions when it comes to how they go about receiving some medical care. Um, so given some of those stories that, uh, you know, that, that you have told and, and the fact that Interior Health was there to, I guess, sort of, you know, talk about, you know, the services that are available in Ashcroft and to the people of Ashcroft and in the region, um, probably didn't get a whole lot of answers, I guess, in terms of how that care will be improved. It was, it sounds like it was almost more of an information session than an actual, uh, you know, look, look to improve services. I guess, how, how would you kind of describe Describe what took place in terms of that conversation between uh, potential patients and and those at Interior Health. Uh, there was a lot of frustration in the room. I, I knew going in that there would be because people want answers and they need answers and they deserve answers and they haven't been getting them, so they wanted a chance to be heard and to air their concerns. Uh, it was an information session uh, from Interior Health. I, I don't know that anyone went in there expecting them to make any major announcements about servicing, but one of the things, <clears throat> you know, a small thing that, that someone brought up, well, small in terms of it could probably be easily fixed, is if you do get taken from Ashcroft or Cash Creek or Clinton to Royal Inland because there is an emergent issue and, and, and either our emergency department is not open or it's a service that you need to get it at Royal Inland, um, you know, people are getting discharged at 3 in the morning. You know, they've been taken care of, all right, you're good to go. Well, now you're standing there on the streets of Kamloops at 3 in the morning, maybe in your pajamas or with no money, uh, and maybe no cell phone and no way of getting back to to any of these communities and so that's that's a huge issue for people what do you do uh, it's not like you can just call a cab and and, and come back to Ashcroft or to 100 mile and so that's something that I think interior health has heard and is, is trying to work on so that they can point patients in, in in the right direction or give them some assistance or just make sure that people are not being discharged at three in the morning uh, here with Ashcroft Mayor Barbara Roden. So, uh, you know, you mentioned you probably didn't really get any answers to those concerns. So I guess what are you doing as mayor of the community to maybe try and, uh, you know, fill some of those gaps in service that are available? Are you just, uh, you know, continuing to, to lobby and, and talk to the to, to province to try to, uh, you know, see more service hours available? Or I guess what, what are you doing as a, as a council there to, to try to change the way that uh, healthcare service is provided right now? What we're trying to do, first of all, with Interior Health is, is try and maintain that dialogue and convince them that they need to. This, this can't, I don't think, be a one-off. They have to keep coming back. And when they come back, I hope you know that they have some answers. I hope that they have some concrete things that they can put forward and say, this is what we are doing. So, so the advocacy thing is a huge thing that we as, as a council can do. Another thing that we can do is look at health care funding. Um, it's allocated per based on population. And that's fine if you're in a really densely populated place like the Lower Mainland. Um, if you're looking at a health region like Interior Health, we don't have the population that the Lower Mainland has, so we don't get the funding. But it's much more expensive and much more difficult to provide health care services in rural areas. And so I think the funding formula needs to be looked at, and that's something that we can advocate and lobby for on a provincial level. We'll say, you know, look, this this needs to be tweaked because... You know, we're, we're we're not getting our not. I guess we're not getting our fair share, considering the challenges and expense of de delivering healthcare in a, in a large, 
you know, com- uh, area with lots of rural and remote communities. Um, and I know that, um, you know, when you talk about, you know, trying to lobby the province and the health minister to maybe change some of those, uh, you know, things you talked about in terms of the way it's funded or, or just the services that are available, I guess, uh, you know, are you disappointed at all with sort of uh, the action that you've seen from, from the health minister lately? I know, like, I think it was two weeks ago, Adrian Dix was in the community for a very brief period of time, and uh, there might have been some frustration about, you know, maybe the, the lack of notice that was given about the fact that he was going to be there. I mean, just, um, do you have any comment on just sort of, uh, you know, what the response has been from the province to this point in the in the you know recent memory well again we 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 met with the minister at ubcm he was very briefly in the community a couple of weeks ago and and that's again where the advocacy and the lobbying comes in is is just not not to stop is to continue to continue to lobby the, the health minister and and keep him aware of what is happening and what is not happening here in terms of health care just to keep it on on the radar make sure it doesn't uh sort of fall off the radar on any level, whether that's the province or interior health, we need to keep lobbying. I mean, there's just so much frustration um, and there are so many parts to this and we need to find solutions and we need to find something that is going to serve the healthcare needs and, and not just of Ashcroft, but of the entire region. And I think interior health really needs to listen to people, listen to what they are asking for and then see if that can be delivered and then what that's going to look like. Uh, I guess what what's next here, Mayor? Is there uh, you know more meetings planned for for members of the community? Like you had mentioned that you were hoping to CIH come in uh, maybe more frequently. Um, you know, do you know if anything is on the horizon again? I mean, and obviously it's just happened last night, so there's probably not anything that's been scheduled as of yet. But uh, any ideas if there might be a plan for them to come back and have a, another meeting with you guys and, and the members of the community, or uh, you know, are you just going to continue to maybe also tell members of the public to to write letters to to their uh, MLAs and and to the Minister of Health, I mean, like, what, what's next? What's kind of your next plan of action to sort of uh, try and see some change aside from uh, from you and, and your council continuing to lobby? I guess, what, what aside from that are you guys pushing for at this point? Uh, well, certainly, uh, we want members of the community to express their concerns. Uh, we want people to not be silent about this. We will continue the lobbying and the advocacy, of course. Uh, Interior Health did say last night that they were open to uh, a further meeting or meetings here in Ashcroft, and I think that uh, I haven't had a chance to discuss it with council yet, but I think our next step is to contact them and b- very strongly recommend that they do that this is not a one-off. They need to keep in the community. They need to keep informing people and listening to people. Uh, as I said at the beginning of the interview, people feel very, very strongly and passionately they are not being listened to and they are not being heard. So we need to create those opportunities, but we need to see change come out of those opportunities. It's not enough just to to come into the community and listen and then go away. We need to see um, action from Interior Health going forward uh, about not only retaining the services that we have here, which is very, very important to people, of course, but looking at how we can expand those services to to greater serve the healthcare needs of people in in the region, which are very uh, complicated and complex and uh, it's going to take a lot of work, and we have to keep on working at that and, and keep moving forward. Uh, Mayor, I'll get you out of here on this one. So I have also heard that potentially uh, last night's meeting maybe wasn't publicized as well as it could have been, and you said you did get a pretty good attendance, but maybe it could have been attended better. If you do have a meeting in the future, I guess, are you hoping to see it maybe um, be a little more uh, put out there, the word spread a little bit better, that uh, there is a meeting taking place, and, and maybe even increase those numbers of people that are coming out to attend such a meeting? 
certainly i'd love to see more people um it's it's really difficult it's 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 not like the old days where you put an ad in the paper which interior health did and everyone saw it now people get their news and their information about what's happening from so many different channels uh, i did see on facebook a lot of people spreading the word uh there was so certainly there was a lot of knowledge i mean we had we had 150 people there last night but uh certainly in future spread the word even more and this is a game where i'd encourage people to, to make sure they do spread the word, tell your friends, um, you know, sp- put it out on Facebook, but don't assume that everyone's on Facebook because lots of people aren't. So that's where we can advocate for ourselves and just make sure that we keep ourselves informed. You know, if you have a neighbor who you think would like to go but doesn't have a car or has mobility issues, offer to give them a lift. Um, the, the more people who come out, I, I think the better because the more voices that will be heard and the more we show interior health that we really are passionate about our health care and we want to uh, retain and expand the services. Uh, well, Barbara, thanks so much for coming on the show today and doing this. I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, definitely some good information to get out there. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jeff. Have a great day. You as well. That was Ashcroft Mayor Barbara Roden. Coming up, Kamloops Thompson Caribou Green Party candidate Ian Curry will join me with just three days before the October 21st vote, so stick around for that. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back in here on Friday, October 18th, just three days away from voting day. And to get you prepared, we here at NL have been bringing you local candidates to get in one last word prior to Monday. Uh, Liberal Terry Lake, Conservative Kathy McLeod, and PPC candidate Ken Finlayson have all been on NL Morning News with Howie Reimer. Those can be found podcasted on RadioNL.com slash podcast. And NDP's Cynthia Egley will be on with Brett Manier later this afternoon. But I am joined now by Green candidate Ian Curry. Ian, thanks so much for coming in. Ah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So uh, just three days left here. I guess how are you feeling at this stage of the game? I, well, you won't be surprised. I'm a little tired, uh, but uh, I'm you know I'm really excited about the uh, response I've been getting, and uh, we're going to keep up the keep up the hard work until uh, till Monday morning. So uh, when you say keep up the hard work, I guess what what does that entail here over the next three days to to get you know get ready for crunch time here? It entails knocking on doors, talking to people, and getting my uh, getting my name and face out there as much as I can. Perfect. Now I know you wanted to come in to talk a little bit more about the the green policy when it comes to, to climate change and uh, you know how quickly um, you know you guys want to press forward when it comes to things like reducing the emissions that Canadians emit. Uh, you know, just talk a little bit about that policy and how quickly you want to go about doing that because I know some maybe feel like it's uh, maybe a little bit more aggressive than uh, than than is possible. Oh, yeah, so uh, we reached out because uh, hearing Terry Lake this morning talk about uh, mischaracterizing the, the green platform, um, but also uh, talking about how we need to do this nice and slow for the sake of the economy. And it's not that the Green Party wants to do this, it's that the science... Uh, the best climate scientists in the world tell us that we need to take these steps by 2030. Uh, you know, there's nothing magical about 2030 except it's the date that arises in the most recent uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report uh, as to when we need to make drastic reductions to our, uh, to our emissions in order to maintain the, our, our, our lifestyle, mm-hmm. our economy, uh, our health and security for our next generation. So 2030 isn't our date. It's not something the Green Party wants because, uh, you know, we're against fossil fuels. It's what the science says needs to be done. 
Um, for those, I guess, who, who feel that is a little bit too aggressive, I mean, do you have any message for those people who say, you know, it's not even possible to, to really see some change within, you know, 10, 10, less less than 11 years, so 10 years? I mean, it does sound like a pretty quick change in, in how we could potentially live our lifestyle. So, I mean, what message do you have for those people who maybe are a little bit concerned about seeing that, that quick of a turnaround? Well, the people should be. Uh, people should be concerned. Uh, but the concern should be about what happens if we don't. Um, so, uh, you know, the, it can be, uh, 10 years is not a, is obviously not a lifetime, uh, but it is a, a long enough time that we can, uh, we can start the transition now and we can uh, gradually ramp that up so that by, uh, so by 2030 we've made some significant changes, uh, but they have in fact improved the economy. Uh, they have resulted in the investment uh, in Canada making investments in uh, renewable energies, in uh, creating a, a more robust and sustainable economy, uh, creating jobs. Uh, and so that's one of the, uh, one of the other reasons I wanna be, wanted to come in here is because the uh, liberal narrative has been that we need to do this slow because the, obviously the economy is going to be adversely affected by, by the transition. And that's just not the case. So all of the, the people who have looked at this see a huge opportunity as well as a huge risk in the, in the climate crisis. So if we start transitioning to renewable energies, if we start uh, working on retrofitting buildings and houses, um, the, uh, there's a group of uh, trade unions um, in construction trade unions called Let's Build Canada, who's, who's done a study, uh, and it's, it's nonpartisan, not connected at all to the Green Party, uh, and they say that by 2050 we can create 3.3 di million direct jobs in, just in the construction industry through the transition to a green economy, and 17 million direct and indirect jobs. Uh, that's a huge opportunity for Canada to, uh, to invest in the sort of infrastructure that's going to uh, that's going to help Canada move to a to a better future, but also to to juice the economy to create good long-term sustainable jobs. So yeah, you basically have the opposite narrative that this isn't going to hurt the economy. This is going to help it because it sounds like you're saying it's going to create more jobs than it's actually going to cost. Absolutely. So you know, the world wars were were obviously horrendous, uh, but the um, after the you know. After the destruction and devastation, the Canadian economy grew as a result of the investments in infrastructure that were acquired by that. And so the, the climate crisis is a slow-moving, much harder-to-see risk to us as a nation than something like, uh, something like a world war. But it presents the opportunity for, for the government and for the people of Canada to invest in the sort of infrastructure we're going to need, make the investments in training and infrastructure that is going to move the economy forward. So it's a real opportunity. And people are seeing that, econ uh, that opportunity. Warren Buffett just invested $200 million in w a wind farm in Alberta. And it, if Warren Buffett can see the economic opportunity in, in a green economy, how come the Liberals and Conservatives can't? Well, Ian, unfortunately, we are out of time already. That was uh, pretty quick, but uh, thanks so much for coming in. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks. Awesome. That was Ian Curry, Green Party candidate for Kamloops, Thompson, Caribou. And, of course, don't forget, Monday is voting day, and polls will close at 7. We have coverage here starting on NL at 6.30, so tune in for that. Well, that wraps things up for me here today. Thank you to all my guests for joining me, and, of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And, again, remember, if you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here on Monday at 9.